Um, first of all, uh, the Sayings are going to be heading out on Tuesday for um, Kenya. How long are you going to be gone for? Two weeks. And so just be praying for special travel mercies for them. <clears throat> My last trip back from Kenya, I thought I was going to go bonkers in that airplane after two eight-hour flights and glory to God. I'm happy for you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So they're going to have a great time there with family and renewing acquaintances and so forth. And then I also want you to pray in tomorrow um, for my son-in-law. He's going to be Bruce Wangler. Pastor Bruce is going to be having some surgery. Uh, so if you think of him, uh, just hold him up in prayer as well. So Father, we just thank you that your word is true. And uh, we thank you for Emmanuel and Megan. We thank you for this opportunity that they have uh, with their children to go back and see family. And, and so, Father, we just ask a, a blessing upon their trip, that everything will go smoothly, that there will be no problems, no difficulties in any way, shape, or form with their flights, with anything. And so, Father, we just thank you that they're going to have a blessed time in Jesus' name. And then, Father, we just pray for Pastor Bruce as he has surgery tomorrow. Uh, we thank you, Father, that he's already healed by the stripes of Jesus. Uh, we just pray for wisdom for those that are involved in the surgery. And we pray that the healing process will be quick and complete. And so, Father, we give you praise and honor that we can trust you. And then we ask you to bless this time today as we minister the Word of God, that it might minister to each of our hearts that we might be able to receive truth today, truth that'll bring about greater freedom in our life in every area. And so we thank you for this opportunity that we have today to hear your word. We ask your blessing upon it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, last week I started, uh, why don't you turn that thing off? I'm cold, so I'm sure everybody else is cold as well. And... Uh, <clears throat> That thing's air conditioning, by the way, for, for those of you um, from Iowa. And, uh, but last week I started talking about <clears throat> the ministry of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and how oftentimes we have misconceptions concerning the workings of the Holy Spirit. It's almost unless we have goosebumps or we feel something, uh, we have this idea that uh, the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up. And uh, <clears throat> thank God for goosebumps. Um, thank God for all the manifestations of the Spirit. But you know, if, if that's all you, you look to and if that's all you identify with the Holy Spirit, you're going to fall far short of what He's really made available for each and every one of us. And so, I want to talk with you some more today about the, the workings of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you've got your Bibles, turn them, to, <clears throat> turn them to the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. And uh, <clears throat> I want to read this out of the uh, Amplified. And as we're going through this today, I want us to realize the Holy Spirit is so much more than emotion. It's more than emotion, it's more than 
He's more than feelings. He has a, he has a function in our life. And it's like, it's like any function, if we don't acknowledge it and if we don't recognize it, uh, we're not going to see it really operate in our lives as it ought to. And so the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter in the seventh verse, it says, however, <clears throat> I am telling you nothing but the truth. When I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the, inter, the, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. That's what I like, what it says there. He'll send him so that he can be in close fellowship with you and I. And so again, he's not simply supposed to be an acquaintance. We're to be in close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He wants to be our comfort. He wants to be our counsel. He wants to be our help. He wants to be our advocate. He wants to be our, uh, to intercede for us. He wants to be our strengthener. He wants to stand by us. And in every situation, it isn't just on Sunday morning, where we're to have intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's to be moment by moment every day. You know, remember several years back, <clears throat> Benny Hinn uh, came out with a book on the Holy Spirit and the title of it was Good, Good Morning Holy Spirit. And the point of the book was that we ought to acknowledge and recognize every day that the Holy Spirit is there to be our advocate, to be our standby, to be with us no matter what the circumstances may be around about us. And the, and the thing that I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he. It's a person. And so because he's a he and not an it, we'd have fellowship with him. And so it's to be an intimate fellowship that we would have with the Holy Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit, as a he, the Bible talks about how he can be, be grieved. And I think even with that, oftentimes, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> it was this way with, with faith. When I began to get a hold of the message of faith, and I began to see that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, as it says in Romans 10, 17, I began to realize that faith is really quite easy. You hear, faith comes. And so faith really wasn't the issue. The, the issue was all of the stuff that I'd learned in the past that was contradictory to what the Bible really says about faith. And you know, when we begin to talk about grace, when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, when we begin to talk about God wanting to <clears throat> reveal himself to us, oftentimes it's the same thing that we have to deal with is unlearning the things that we've learned in the past because they're contrary to what the Word of God. We'd be amazed at how many things that we thought were so spiritual was just a religious philosophy that had been passed down through the generations and you can't even find it in the Bible. 
it's so easy for it to happen that way. But we need to be aware of what the Word of God says, and we need to be determined that we're going to believe what the Bible says. Not what man says, but what the Bible says. But say, I believe the Bible. And so we need to be determined to believe and accept what the Bible says. And so the Bible talks about the grieving of the Holy Spirit, but I think oftentimes, like so many things, we miss what he's really talking about. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, but we need to know what is it that, that, truly, that truly grieves him. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 13th chapter and the fifth verse. And again, I want to read this out of the Amplified. And it says, for he, God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. It's never going to leave us without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. He will not. He will not. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. You know, some of these messages for a preacher is to, it's kind of scary. Because can't use any fear tactics to manipulate you. And of course, the Bible says manipulation is witchcraft. And I think so often in the church we see witchcraft in, manipul- in, in manifestation manipulating people rather than accepting what the Word of God says. And so we say, well, don't, you, you need to be careful with your life. You better be careful because you grieve the Holy Spirit and he'll leave you. There's one problem with that. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually tells us just the opposite of that. He says he'll not leave us. He'll not forsake us. You know, There's comfort in that. There's assurance in that. To me, that doesn't take away from God. That adds to God. To know that he loves me so totally, unconditionally, that I can't drive him away from me. Wow. That's that's amazing. I don't don't know if you uh, watched any of Billy Graham's funeral or not the other day. But I was watching it, and, and uh, you know, I have a tendency once in a while to shed a tear, too. But I'll tell you, where I was on the verge of sobbing was when Ruth shared his daughter. And she talked about how she had gone through a divorce, and and in bed just totally devastated. And so she'd moved away to live with in the area of another sister. And, and how she uh, got introduced to another guy. And real quickly, against everybody's counsel, 
married him, you know, because she was sure that this was right and nobody was going to tell me what to do. And within just a couple of days, she knew that she had made a mistake. And I think it was within five weeks she left because she was in fear of her life. And she didn't know what to do, so she, she went back to her, her parents. And she said, I'm coming. I'm, I'm not going to cry in the name of Jesus. And she says, I'm coming up the mountain because where Billy Graham lived was up a mountain. I'm coming around the last turn. And she says, all these thoughts are going through me. Mom and dad are going to be so disappointed in me. Everybody's going to be so disappointed in me. I've been such a failure my whole life. I've been nothing but problems for my, my family this whole life. Been just an embarrassment. Here's my dad and I'm just an embarrassment to him. And she says, I'm coming around the, the last turn. And she says, there's my dad standing at the gate waiting for me. So that I get out of the car. He doesn't wait for me to walk to the gate. He comes to the car. And he grabs a hold of me and he says, Honey, I'm so glad you're home. That's our Father God. I want you to know something today. He's not mad at you. You probably have screwed up big time. Join the club. But you know what? He's at the gate waiting for you because he can't wait to throw his arms around you. What's that got to do with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit isn't in your life to condemn you. The Holy Spirit is in your life to be your advocate, to, to guide you back to your Father God. When you feel like you've lost your way, he's not there condemning you because you're on the wrong path. He's there to guide you, to get you back onto the right path. Why? Because he is love, because he loves you, because your Father God loves you. In the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter, reading on just a little bit, in the 8th verse, it says, and when he comes, when who comes? When the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus is sending to you and me, so that we're not left alone. Let me tell you something. When you feel so all alone, you're not alone. You have somebody that wants to have intimate fellowship with you. It's the Holy Spirit. And he's as far away as you simply saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. He's there to be your advocate, to be your comforter, to be your guide, to be your help. And the thing about that help is it doesn't matter what it is. He can help you through every situation. We look at it sometimes and we think, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> this is so small, so puny, so insignificant. I can't bother God with this. Yes, you can. Because there is nothing beyond his capacity. He's that big. Doesn't matter how small it is, he cares. Doesn't matter how big it is, he cares. That's the loving father that we have. And when he has come, 
He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in him. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit has come into our lives to convict us of sin. Not if you've been born again. We talked about this last week. We talked about how he has come to convict the world of sin. And we oftentimes as believers, we look at the working of the Holy Spirit and we don't go beyond the sinner. We still see ourselves in that same capacity. You know, you don't need the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin. You've been born again. You know when you sin. And then we blame it on the Holy Spirit. And we say, well, he's hounding me. I'll tell you something. If the Holy Ghost was hounding you, you'd be a whole lot more miserable than you are. No, he, he's here to convict, or I like another translation, to convince the world of sin. It's very specific. Convince the world of sin. Why does the world, why did you and I have to be convinced of sin so that we recognize that we needed a Savior? So the Holy Spirit has come to convict, convince the world of sin that they can't make it on their own, that they need a Savior, that no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be able to be good enough. You're never going to be able to keep the law. And so you might as well just give in and admit it. You need a Savior in your life. But you know what? You already have a Savior if you've been born again. So he's not here to convict you, to convince you that you're a sinner. He's here to convict you, to convince you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You know what the number one flaw within the church is? They don't know who they are in Christ Jesus. It isn't that they don't know that they're a sinner, it's that they don't know that they're righteous. They don't know that they've been redeemed. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're saying something, you ought to be talking about how you've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And through his word and through your testimony, you acknowledge what he's done for you. And so we're not to go spend our life running around talking about our failings and our shortcomings. We're to run around spending our life talking about how wonderful Jesus is and what he's done in my life and how I can handle every circumstance that comes my way. Why was Billy Graham standing at the gate? That was his daughter, his daughter. Do you know why God is waiting for us to return to him? Because we're his sons, because we're his daughters. And he's never going to turn us away. I believe we can run away from him if we want to. I think we're pretty stupid if we do. But people do it all the time. But he's never going to shut the gate on us. He's never going to say it's too late for you. No, 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 no. That's not my Savior. That's not your Savior. There's one thing that Jesus' blood, when he paid the price for sin, it's only one thing that it wasn't able to cover. Unbelief. The reason it wasn't able to be, 
to, to take care of unbelief is because unbelief is a matter of choice. And God will never take away your opportunity to choose. And so all sin was covered by the blood of Jesus. Think about this. Every single man, woman, and child that has ever lived, that is living, that will ever live, their blood, or through the blood of Jesus, their sin was obliterated. It was completely wiped out. Saved and unsaved alike. Their sin was dealt with. There was just one thing that wasn't taken care of. Unbelief. That's why you and I must choose to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We must choose to stop doubting what Jesus has done for us. And so the moment that we choose to believe, what happens, salvation comes into our life. And you know what? The one thing that the blood wasn't able to wipe away was unbelief because we're still dealing with it today. We still have to choose. Am I going to choose life or am I going to choose death? Deuteronomy 30 says, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. And you know what? That's still for you and I today. Let's choose life. Let's choose life. Because what that demonstrates is that I believe. That it's not unbelief that's holding back on me. I believe in what Jesus has done for me. And the Bible says that when that unbelief is evil. It's called an evil report when we choose to not believe what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished for us. In Hebrews 3, 12, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any, that, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Let me read that again because I didn't do a very good job. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An evil heart of unbelief. What does that mean? That means saying, Father, I don't believe that. We see it in the word of God. Well, I know that the Bible says it, but I don't believe it. We need to choose. Do you realize that belief is a choice? We have to choose to believe what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 15th verse, it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all things, all things, tempted as, ye, as we yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in all things yet without sin. You know what that means? That means that we can identify with him. Because if Jesus could come through it victoriously, so can we. 
But you know what? <clears throat> we need to come to a realization of what, it's real, what it is that we're really dealing with. You know, in Jesus, we talked about this last week as well, just a little review here. When Jesus was baptized, in Matthew, the third chapter, talks about how when, they, when he came up out of the water that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And there was a voice from heaven that came out and the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus heard these words. You're my beloved son. I am well pleased in you. Then we go to Matthew 4, and Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And after he's been in the wilderness for 40 days with nothing to eat or drink, it says that the tempter came to him. And the tempter said to him, if you be the Son of God. Notice the number one thing the enemy wants to, wants to do in your life and my life is to get us to doubt who we are in Christ Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you be the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. The sin would not have been for Jesus to turn the rocks into bread. The sin would have been unbelief not believing what God the Father had said about him. You know what our number one problem is? It isn't the act. Remember, we talked last week about the, 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 the sin issue. That is the manifestation of the, or the fruit of the root. The root of sin is always unbelief. The root of sin is that we don't believe who we are in Christ Jesus. The root of sin is that we don't believe that what Jesus did for us is enough. The root of sin is that I'm never going to be satisfied if I simply depend upon what Jesus has done. I've got to do my own thing. I mean, there's the root of sin of the world. I did it my way. Well, pastor, shouldn't we have the right to do it our way? No. You gave up your right. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. But you did. You gave up your rights the moment that you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And anytime we turn from that, we're saying, Jesus, we don't believe that what you've done is enough. And so we got to do our thing. We got to find our own way. Well, that's what gets us into trouble is we, we find our own way. Let's look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And beginning in the first verse, and it says, For the law, having a shadow of things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with the same sacrifice, which they offered continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For when would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sin every year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. For when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written to me to do your will, O God. And so what are we here to do? We're here to do his will. But notice, it's not in the keeping of ordinances. It's in following after him. And that's what he's he's revealing to us here, is the sacrifice that was made through animals is never enough. Going on in verse 8. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor take pleasure in them. Well, if he didn't take pleasure in them, why did he have man do it? Because it was a reminder of man year after year after year after year, we need a savior. Because these sacrifices will never pay the price that is sufficient to take away our sins, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the law, that he might establish the second. By that will we have been uh, sacrificed through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. They had to make these sacrifices year after year after year after year. But once for all, the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood was sufficient for all sin, for all humanity, for all time. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You know, in a month's time, we're going to be celebrating Easter That's the significance of Easter. It's through the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The price was paid in full for all times, for all man. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. This man, after he had, I, I lost my place. Oh, there we go. From that time, waiting till his enemies were made his footstools. For by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Sanctified means to set apart. You're sanctified. You've been set apart. You know, the Bible says that 
We're a peculiar people. A lot of people think that means weird. Now, peculiar means different. Why are we different? Because we've been set apart. Now, I read all this for a specific purpose. Remember, we talked about how religion oftentimes has deceived us. And so let's skip down to the 26th verse. Still in Hebrews 10. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. <clears throat> now this is what religion has told us. Okay? <clears throat> Now that you're born again, if you sin willfully, tough luck. There's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Well, let me tell you something. There is no such thing as an unwillful sin. Every sin that you and I have ever committed was willful. Well, I don't know, Pastor. You know, I was just coming along and all of a sudden I just fell into it. Oh, give me a Holy Ghost break. We don't fall into sin. We walk into sin. At some point in time, we choose. And what this verse is saying is, let me read it again. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice of sin, for sin. There isn't any other sacrifice. There isn't going to be another sacrifice. Let me tell you something. I was going to say if. But when you screw up this afternoon, there isn't any sacrifice that you can make to pay the price for your sin. You can, you can fall on your knees, you can crawl through the gutter, you can go do some good works, you can do whatever it is that you religiously were taught that you must do after you've messed up, after you've sinned. Let me tell you something, there isn't any other sacrifice. There is only one place to turn, and that's to Jesus. And you know what the Holy Spirit is in your life to do? He's to remind you that Jesus already paid for that. And that's why even though you mess up, you may feel bad about it, but you don't have to have this sense of guilt, shame, and condemnation because you messed up. Because Jesus has already paid the price for that. Well, pastor, you better be careful. You're just, you're just making it really easy for people to sin. Have you looked around you lately? It's pretty doggone easy for people to sin. I'll tell you what's difficult for people. It's difficult for people to get rid of the guilt, the shame, the condemnation of it. Because where do you find that? You're only going to find it in Jesus. And if you have a false impression of who Jesus is, 
You see him sitting on the right hand of the father with his foot on the footstool, tapping his foot, thinking, when's that stupid idiot ever going to get it straight? Or if you really know the Holy Spirit, what you're going to find out is he's got a tear going down the side of his face, praying that you recognize that you have a loving father, that no matter what you have done, no matter what you have thought, He's at the gate waiting for you to say, Father, I messed up again. Help me. You know what he does? He helps you. That's why he's the helper. The Holy Spirit is there to help us through every circumstance, every situation that we may encounter in life. He set us apart. But you know what? We need to begin to recognize that we've been set apart. Let's turn to Matthew, the 12th chapter, in the 22nd verse. This talk, this is Jesus when he's in his ministry. It says, Matthew 12, 22. Then one was brought to him who is demon-possessed, blind and dumb, and he healed him, so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? <laughs> is there any doubt about it? Nobody's ever done something like this before. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not uh, cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his house unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. He who do, does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven them. Anyone who speaks the, a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven them. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, neither in this age or in that which, which is to come. And so we, we look at verse 32 there. And religiously we look at it and we bring fear and trepidation into the lives of people because we say, <clears throat> Anyone who speaks 
a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven him. But anybody who speaks against the Holy Ghost won't be forgiven them. Well, you know what? Let's keep stuff in context, okay? Let's keep it in context. And so what's he talking about? He's talking about unbelief. What were the Pharisees doing? They were questioning who Jesus was. Who was he addressing? He was addressing those who were doubting that Jesus was the Son of Man. They were doubting that he was able to heal the man that was restored from, from blindness and dumbness. Jesus says, those who doubt. Remember, unbelief is the one thing that isn't covered. Unbelief is the one thing that will pull you away in your walk, in your relationship with Jesus. It starts by doubting him in one area. And what happens? It leads to another area and to another area and to another area. You know, I love my Bible too much. Otherwise, I do what some preachers have done. You know, they, they have another book up there and they say, well, the Bible says by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. Well, we think that's over with. And so they tear it out of their book. God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Don't believe that anymore. Let's tear it out of the book. Jesus says he's going to send us an advocate, the Holy Spirit. Well, we don't believe that he's in operation today. Let's tear it out of the book. You end up with nothing. And that's what happens with people that start out walking and, and living strong for God. They begin to doubt. Unbelief begins to take over and they begin to remove it from their Bible and it isn't that they're not forgiven of their sin. It's that unbelief will bring death and destruction into our lives in every area. Oh, we try to walk holy, but yet we, we demonstrate unbelief in so many areas of our life because we don't accept what the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal to us. Let me read from 1 Corinthians sixth chapter. Some churches, you're not allowed to read this anymore. But in 1 Corinthians sixth chapter, the ninth verse, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Who's not going to inherit the, the kingdom of God? The unrighteous. And so we read through this and we allow fear to grip a hold of us. Because some preacher has been trying to get us to straighten out our life. And so he hammers us with this verse. But let me tell you something. If you've been born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. This says, do you... Um, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornication, nor idolatry, nor adultery, nor homosexuality, or, or, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such 
were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit of our God. And so were some of you. But you were washed. So you cannot be righteous and unrighteous at the same time. Well, Pastor, I know there's people that claim to be saved, but they're practicing some of those things. It's talking about dominating and controlling their life. And oftentimes what happens with people, they don't know what righteousness is really produced in their life. And so were some of you. Notice it's past tense. So were some of you. And so that means you're not anymore. It means that you've been set free. But you know what the problem with being set free is? The prison door can be slammed wide open. But we sit there thinking we're still in bondage. When Christ has set us free. Well, why do we sit there in bondage when we've already been set free? Because we don't believe. We don't believe what Jesus has truly accomplished in each of our lives. And so he accepted as a lie. Remember when Peter was in prison? I think it was, was Peter or Paul. One of those dudes. He was in prison and, and uh, he's sleeping. The next day he's going to be executed. An angel of the Lord comes along, opens all the gates, the shackles fall off. And the angel has to kick him. Say, wake up. Get out of here. And you're free. <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm preaching here, okay? So it doesn't say this in the Bible. Some of us need a good kick in the pants. We need to wake up. We need to realize what Jesus has already done for us. We need to stop accepting the lie. And we need to get into that level of belief where we believe that what God said through his Bible belongs to me, it belongs to me. And because it belongs to me, I can walk in it. We, we can read this book. But there has to come a point in time where we begin to apply it in our life. I think it was Billy Graham's daughter, Anne. Is that her name? Anne or Amy? Anne. She talked about how her, uh, the, the, growing up, they always had devotions that... Um, when their dad was gone, um, the mom read them, read the Bible, and, and when um, Billy was home, then he would read the Bible. And said the, the difference was that when mom would read it, uh, she always made it personal. And so as you would read along, you'd have to put your name or you'd use I to make it personal, to make it intimate. And it says when, when dad was home, he would always, you know, read the Bible, but then he'd always expound upon it. 
you know, and, and in both cases, it's because it was real to them. Is the Bible real to us? Do we just simply read it because it's the thing to do? Or do we read it because it's God through the Holy Spirit speaking to each of our hearts to give us wisdom, to give us guidance, to show us the way that we ought to go? In Galatians, don't you love Galatians? Galatians, the fifth chapter, beginning in the 18th verse. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit. Everybody say, I'm led by the Spirit. You know what that means? That means you're not under the law. Well, pastor, what do we do without the law? We rely upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never lead you into sin. The Holy Spirit will never lead you in the wrong direction. The thing that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit and His leading, it isn't just for Sunday morning. It's for every moment of every day. Um, But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revilers, revilers, and the like. Now he added the like because if your deal wasn't mentioned there, it's included. (laughs) So it's all inclusive. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I am told you in time past, that those who practice such things in other words, it's a part of their um, lifestyle. It's the old nature. Well, you've been redeemed from the old nature. That old nature is dead. You can no longer use that as an excuse in your life because you're dead to it. Just as I told you in time past, and those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's talking about Their nature. You have a new nature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Whatever was mentioned in the like is no longer to dominate your life. Why? Because Jesus set you free. But the fruit of the Spirit, if we walk after the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, we're not under the law when we practice these things. And those who are Christ's, were Christ's. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Well, why do those passions and desires rise up? Because we choose not to believe. 
We choose to give place to those things that want to rise up in our life. One more passage. One more passage. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. Our words are to impart grace. You know, words are a tremendous indicator. Words tell us where we are. Words let us know whether we're allowing the flesh to dominate or we're being led by the Spirit. Because if we're being led by the Spirit, our words are going to impart grace into the lives of others. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you, have, you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. It says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy, Holy Spirit? Well, unbelief. <clears throat> well, it's just not my personality. I can't, I can't talk to people way, that way. So your personality is for you to be a jerk. Not so. We're not led by the Holy Spirit. We need to allow him to lead us because he's going to lead us the, one of the number one areas he's going to lead us is in our speech because our speech directs our path. Our speech directs where we're going to go. Our speech is an indicator as to what we're hearing, what we're listening to, and what we're responding to. And so the grieving here that it's talking about is the unbelief, is not believing that God can do in me and through me what he says he'll do. Romans 5, say, 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. How are we able to respond positively to one another and to those around us? It's not in our own strength, it's not in our own ability. It's because of the love of God that's been shed in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so what that's saying once again is that when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're going to demonstrate love to one another. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not 
It's the only thing that the world What does the world need? No, I'm not going to quit my day job. You don't even have to tell me after church. I've got that figured out. Tell you what else I've got figured out. The world needs love. It's full of hate. It's full of hate. And oftentimes as a church, we've fallen into the groove. We've spewed hate. That doesn't mean that we compromise. Because we live a life of conviction. It doesn't mean we compromise, but it doesn't mean that we have to spew out hate and disharmony. It's love. It's going to change people's life because you know what? It's the love of God that changed you. You think you weren't so bad. Well, just ask. Well, don't ask them right now. I don't want any fist fights on the way out. We were pretty ugly. The love of God. It's the love of God that's changed us. It's the love of God that'll change our relationships. It's knowing the love of God that'll change the things that we struggle with as we listen to and hear and obey the Holy Spirit. He wants to lead us. Amen. The work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, we'll probably, well, I probably better not say this, might scare people off, but we're probably going to continue this next week. But then again, we may not. It's the advantage of being the preacher. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Father, we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't leave us alone, but you sent us the comforter. You sent us the guide. You sent us the counselor. You sent us the one who can direct our paths and lead us to victory in every area of life. So, Father, we, we choose to recognize and acknowledge his work his workings in our lives. Father, we want everything that we say and do to bring you glory and honor. And we know for that to happen, we must be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, tune us in that we might hear more clearly than we ever have. And we know that when we do that, you will receive glory and honor in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.